0: So the big question is this, in these uncertain times, in this uncertain economy, how are some lawyers adapting their practices so they're not only surviving, they're thriving while others are folding under the pressure? We're talking to those lawyers and legal professionals to find out what's working, what's not, and what they're doing to stay on top. You're listening to Law in the Time of COVID-19. We are joined today by attorney Kyle Nutt of Reese Nutt in Wilmington, North Carolina. In just under nine years of practice, Kyle has made a name for himself in the world of litigation. Valedictorian of his class and senior editor of the Law Review, Kyle has gone on to try cases on issues including medical malpractice, catastrophic motor vehicle accidents, and class action lawsuits involving fraud by educational institutions. On top of all that, he's one of my good friends and the man who carried me on his back when we were passing the bar together. Kyle, thank you for taking some time out to
1: be here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, absolutely, man. So, Kyle, on any other normal day, the story here would be the immense decision to leave a steady job at a successful law firm and take on all the responsibilities of operating a shop yourself. But your story is a little bit different because there was a lot more going on than just leaving a job and jumping into a new
1: firm. Yeah, although at the time we didn't know that. The revelation that we were going to be opening a shop in the midst of a global pandemic and economic crisis were not apparent at the end of January when we made our decision and made the move and did not come to fruition until a few weeks later. So that was an interesting development in our progression
0: yeah so let's take a step back what did that decision look like what was the road that you were on that led you to the fork that made you decide to step out on your
1: own so i had been with the same firm a medium-sized litigation firm for my entire career since leaving law school in 2011 i would worked with that firm during a summer internship and really enjoyed it there, enjoyed the work. But after you know that amount of time, it became apparent that as a small, mostly uh, family-owned firm, that my upward mobility there was probably limited. I did not have a, a partnership opportunity on deck, nor did, did uh, my partner, Corey Reese, who came with me, and he had been there a year longer than me. I had just started a family My son was just over a year old, and I wanted some more flexibility without the guilt of not putting in as many long, hard hours. And I think, you know, also wanting to kind of reap the the fruits of your labor personally brings some more satisfaction. I wanted to take advantage of that as well.
0: Sure. So what practice areas is Reese and Nut focusing on?
1: So we're basically sticking to the same practice areas we were at at our old firm, litigation firm, with a little bit of transactional work, more more on pre-litigation negotiation size. But we specialize in business litigation, so we've got some big cases in the business court, medical malpractice, personal injury, high net worth family law cases with complex issues, you know, business ownership and tribal issues there. We're doing a fair amount of construction litigation, complex construction litigation, but also just some minor workouts and, you know, pretty much everything else in between your run-of-the-mill contract disputes and consumer issues, landlord-tenant. So anything that people find themselves needing a lawyer to try to resolve is pretty much up our alley.
0: Right on. So you said that coronavirus wasn't on your radar when you made the decision About how long after you hung that shingle did this come knocking?
1: So our transition happened a little bit faster than expected once we made our announcement. So we actually ended up out on our own, slightly unprepared uh, towards the end of January this year. And uh, fortunately, we were in a space and getting set up by early February. And I think, you know, at that time, coronavirus was something that felt distant. It was being reported on. People were aware of it. But I think at the most, there might have been, you know, a couple reported cases out on the West Coast. And at that time, although it's menacing, it kind of did not feel dissimilar to what we saw when we had some Ebola cases here during the last administration. And that was, you know, relatively contained and didn't become a, a national issue. So I don't think the appreciation was there for us of, of how severe it was going to get, obviously. And I think, obviously, that's true for most people, perhaps, except for those senators who had the inside information <laughs> and did some, some trading based on that.
0: So as that was starting to hit, what was the hardest part of making the whole thing work as you're trying to launch this firm? You're bringing over some of your existing clients. You're probably starting to try to market to new clients. Like, What did that transition look like?
1: Well, the... The transition early on was a lot of discussions with clients, seeing who was going to come with us, who was going to stay. So that was a big focus early on, just trying to figure that out because there was no formal agreement between the firms on those issues for, for some time. And then, you know, basically just trying to get set up largely from scratch, hit the ground running. So as we got our setup, moved into our space, and uh, had our website up and running, that's when things sort of started to come to fruition with what was going on with coronavirus nationally and internationally. And it definitely was a gut check and forced us to rethink some areas that we had maybe planned on pushing into and some early acquisition of, you know, employees and stuff. We, We kind of wanted to wait and see the temperature of things before we through you know more people into the fire and and maybe grew, grew beyond what would we would be able to stomach given the limitations that might be put in place because of that issue,
0: sure. Was there anything you did when launching your firm that you credit as being critical to your success throughout the pandemic?
1: I think having those clients who were wanted to stay with us and making sure we got them on board quickly. And then another thing that I think was really important was getting in touch with some clients that I had served in the past that I knew I had a good relationship with and just, you know, reaching out, letting them know about things. And I had some of those clients, you know, ask if they could leave a review for our services. And I got some good Google reviews out of that that obviously drive your web presence. And also, reaching out to attorneys that I've worked with over the years and just trying to lay the groundwork for the referral networks. And I think, you know, that's paid off as well. A lot of folks that have been around for a while certainly recognize the, the need and the hunger of somebody starting their own practice. And so I've had a lot of support from other attorneys in this community who are pretty well established, whether that's referring cases or, you know, just being available to talk about issues and uh, network me in, in contact with other attorneys so that those were both pretty critical early on to getting set up
0: now one of the things i'm hearing from a lot of attorneys i've talked to is they're having problems with a lot of their clients they have these continuing cases that have been going on for a while but with unemployment going up so high people are struggling to pay their own bills they're having trouble getting their attorney's bills paid as well. Have you looked at any type of unique structures to try to maintain your relationship with clients throughout this process?
1: You know, fortunately for us, that hasn't been a major issue. And I think that's because a lot of the, the types of cases we handle are either going to be on a contingency basis where that's not going to be an issue or, you know, for large scale business litigation. Fortunately, our clients have not found themselves in that position. We certainly, for some of our high net worth domestic cases there's been some impacts in that area and you you know you've got folks that are claiming they can't afford to pay obligations that the court has placed on them because of the uh, economic crisis so we're certainly just working with people we recognize that this in the the grand scheme of things is temporary and so we're just uh, communicating with those clients that may have issues arising from that trying to tailor a unique solution to each case. And I I think that's worked pretty well for us.
0: Now, I know every market can be a little bit different. What are you hearing from other lawyers in your community and how they're weathering the storm?
1: You know, for the most part, I think people have handled it pretty well. I think they're trying to just weather the storm, Uh, obviously, with the courts being closed for an extended period of time and just now getting back, uh, at least here in New Hanover County, to remote hearings only. There's been an interruption of work, but I don't think there's been a lack of work. I, you know, the phones have been ringing for most of the attorneys I talked to. And so uh, I think the the general consensus is there's a lot of paper pushing being done, clearing out task lists of stuff that, you know, needed to get done. But there was always fires on deck and preparing for hearings and trials kind of got in the way of getting some stuff sent out or, or uh, completed. So think most people are focusing on handling stuff like that that the extra time has afforded them and that's good work that needs to get done and i think you know hopefully this thing runs its course for the most part as people finish up those backlogs of work and we can kind of all not feel the brunt of an interruption as badly and with the courts opening back up it seems like we're going to have that opportunity
0: Have you been able to effectively move your clients' cases forward with all of this shutdown?
1: In some respects, yes, and in some respects, no. I think the consensus I've had with some other attorneys handling um, some contingency matters is that certain insurance companies have had an interest in trying to resolve those cases during the pandemic, which is interesting, not necessarily what people anticipated, but... There's been the ability to close out some cases on that front. In terms of cases that are being heavily litigated, obviously there was a big pause and an interruption on that. Depositions were postponed in a lot of the cases. I have, I've had two trials postponed already, uh, several hearings postponed. And I think a lot of cases, you know, sometimes you need to have those things done in order for a case to move forward. What we kind of came to a consensus on in some of my cases was regardless of what's going on with the courts, we have technology available to you know move these cases forward. So we've focused on doing depositions remotely. Uh, we've had a couple of telephone and or video conference hearings to move the ball forward where it needs court intervention. And in that respect, I think we've managed to get done some things we need to get done. But there's definitely been delays think the most frustrating thing for clients was, you know, we were two weeks away from a a big medical malpractice trial that was expected the last several weeks in a case that's several years old. And obviously you got people coming in from across the country in cases like that, doctors and whatnot. And so having that sort of postponed for a considerable period of time was pretty frustrating, but it is what it is. And that's, that's what we have to do. So we focused on recalendering those trials and I think the big question mark now is with the, the recalendar dates, is there going to be a satisfactory level of safety to the court system that those will be able to move forward without interruption? Or are we going to see changes to our system to, you know, whether that's just delaying jury trials or finding some way of conducting them more safely? Uh, and I've heard a lot of different ideas on that, but we may have to to consider those options. If the virus does not abate to the point where you know, everyone is comfortable putting more than 12 people together in a small space for a couple of weeks at a time.
0: Right. Right. Now, you were discussing some of the technology that has been used to to make some of this possible. What technology is your firm leveraging to get through this?
1: Basically, remote depositions and remote hearings have, for the most part, been conducted by Zoom. People enjoy that. Uh, I, I take that back. The remote hearings so far are WebEx-based, and that's being handled here in New Hanover County. We have had just, some, you know, telephone conferences and telephone hearings with some 2.1 judges and judges in the business court, which has been really easy to handle. But, you know. A couple other firms are using their own, I wouldn't say proprietary, but they have a different system that they're using for remote depositions, and some of that's by virtue of the court reporting services they use. So that's been really helpful. You know, FaceTime with certain clients who want to see your face when they have a meeting. I've done consultations with new clients via FaceTime, and uh, I think having a face to see while they're trying to discuss their issues and kind of. Just seeing you and your posture and your body language is pretty reassuring to people. So just the ability to, to video conference has been probably the number one technology that's been utilized more than ever by most people. But I have talked to some firms, you know, some smaller firms that have either just limited things to telephone discussions, no people coming in the office at all, or they've largely put things on hold. I think that that's unfortunate. I I think that taking advantage of the technology we have at our disposal these days is a must in these times. Yeah,
0: I think we're going to see a divide as well going forward on the firms that choose to harness technology and use it as opposed to the ones who didn't, kind of like the lawyers who decided they didn't need a website in the late 90s and, and, and they got left behind or they had to spend a lot more money than they maybe would have to catch up. But I think we're gonna see remote video technology used far more frequently with clients. Clients, even ones that would have been more apprehensive about it initially prior to this have been forced into having to learn it and have to get past that learning curve. And I think they're gonna be more comfortable with it. And then especially in the larger markets, the ability to meet with your lawyer face-to-face, and like you said, to be able to see those facial expressions, to get a feeling for who that attorney actually is, it's something you can do. On a webcam that you can't do on a phone call and instead of having to drive into the city find somewhere to park walk to the building now you can have that initial consultation you can have those follow-up meetings by video and feel like you're still getting the entire experience from it so i think we're going to see lawyers doing that a lot more and i think if you're not doing that like if you have a firm out there and you're being resistant to this i think you're going to get left behind and you need to make yourself available to clients in all the ways that they want, because at the end of the day, I mean, we're a service provider, lawyers are service providers, and we need to make reasonable accommodations
1: to meet our clients where they are. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I also think its functionality for depositions is going to fundamentally change things. It's interesting how you said, you know, there were attorneys that didn't have websites, and I'm I'm still finding attorneys that don't have websites (laughs) these days. I don't understand how that, you know, is something that, that really works for any firm. In this time. But I do share your your view that, you know, remote video conferencing for depositions and client meetings is that next step that people are going to have to take. With some of my cases, you know, it's routine to travel across the country for depositions, particularly of experts in a, in a lot of cases. And that's airfare, it's hotel, you know, transportation. Um, and just the fact that you're tied up traveling for a day two days sometimes really eats into your schedule and consumes a lot of time so having the ability to just video conference now for a deposition and the the functionality of the software packages we're using where you can just throw a document on the screen you know you can share screen you can direct the, the uh, witness to specifically the language or the object on the screen that you wanted to focus on. You can mark it up. You can have them mark it up. Those things, in some ways, are more functional than an in-person deposition. I mean, it's like having the Elmo that you would use in trial in a deposition, and I, I really like it. I think it makes a lot of sense for remote depositions, and we'll be taking advantage of that regardless of what happens with the virus and you know the unwillingness of folks to travel going forward just because of the cost savings and the functionality.
0: Now, right before all this hit, I was working a full-time job up until a few months ago as I was building this company. And literally a week before the North Carolina governor declared a state of emergency, I had decided to quit my job. And when all of this really became real and the stay-at-home orders were starting to be put in place, like I had this brief moment where I was like, I've made a huge mistake. Now, it turned out that I didn't make a huge mistake at all. It was actually really fortuitous. It allowed me To be home with my toddler because she wasn't in school and to still spend all the time you know the requisite time i needed to build the company what did that feel like for you did you have a moment where you were like oh shit"?
1: i think that there was definitely a gut check moment where we said to ourselves this could be really bad but i don't think it was necessarily in the context of just our our firm's operation i think the expectation was there that we were going to be okay given the the client load that we were bringing over. I think it was more of a broad, you know, grand scheme of things that if this shuts the whole economy down and there's a mass wave of, you know, fatalities, it's going to be pretty tragic and difficult to work through. So I certainly wondered at points in time, have I made a mistake given this development or was my timing wrong? I don't think that that's lingered very long. And it's, Turned out to be not the case, and I'm, I'm, you know, very reassured that we made the right decision. The way things have worked out.
0: Good. Do you think that there were any advantages to moving to your own small firm before the crisis?
1: Well, one advantage certainly was having the opportunity to be a little more set up before. And I say a little more. I mean, we're talking about a lead time of just a few weeks, but it was good to have that under our belt before the crisis hit. And I'm not sure if how things would have turned out differently if we hadn't, but certainly I think it helped us make the leap and we might not have had the comfort level to make the leap had we waited. I'm glad that the timing turned out the way it did. Another aspect, as as many small business owners know, the PPP program was available for businesses that were in place prior to mid-February. And so actually the time period where we left enabled us to be eligible for the PPP program that otherwise we would have not even qualified on the face of the program. So that timing also was fortuitous for us.
0: Yeah, sure. Now you frequently hear stories of companies and industries that were born out of the ashes of one crisis or another. What advice would you give another business owner who launched a venture as coronavirus was bearing down on us or is considering entering the marketplace now?
1: I think, You just have to keep your eyes on what's going on in the world, especially with the coronavirus, and see how is it shaping the landscape or reshaping the landscape of how we're doing business. You would have your eyes closed if you didn't consider the fact of, can I conduct this business remotely? Is there a way I can do this with minimal physical contact? Is the service or the goods that I'm offering something that's going to be either spiked in demand or is it? you know, not going to be in demand based upon what's going on these days. So I think you have to keep those things in mind. But ultimately, if you've got something that under normal circumstances would be a good venture that you have, you know, strong feelings about going out on your own and pursuing, my advice is go for it, but do so cautiously. And, you know, with a good appreciation of the changing world around us, because, again, I do agree that what we're seeing is not something that's going to be without lasting effects. And I think that there's going to be some big changes in how a lot of business in this country and around the world is done after this.
0: So what is next for Reese and Nut? How are you preparing for what tomorrow brings when the economy opens, for any other eventual problems that arise, if there's any, if, if this circles back on us?
1: Well, I think we're in a good position if it circles back. I mean, we've had the last several months to learn you know, what that reality looks like. And I think most firms, I certainly include ourselves in this, would be even better prepared if there is a second wave, so to speak, to, you know, move cases forward, handle depositions remotely, conduct hearings remotely, what have you. If things return to normal, as hopefully they will, I think it's just a matter of, for our firm at least, trying to manage our calendars and we're, we're seeing a bit of a tidal wave come in as courts open back up at least partially and there's a rush to schedule hearings and schedule depositions and we're trying to help our clients you know accomplish what they want to accomplish but at the same time we've only got so much time in a day and so many days in the calendar so there's a big process going on right now of just trying to manage the resumption of all the cases and you know, on the backlog but I think it's just going to be important to take a measured approach to trying to, you know, schedule everything, make sure that we feel pretty good about if we're setting trials that they're going to be able to go forward and we're not just kicking the can down the road. And then in terms of marketing and attracting new clients, you know, we've developed a website. We're being pretty focused on getting clients to to leave good reviews that are satisfied with us and we've had a lot of client feedback that's really good on that and continuing to you know market ourselves to other attorneys in town who may not handle some of the services we do we we do litigation from soup to nuts you know we do pre-trial trial appeals and there's a a niche for all of those things for attorneys that may handle only part of those processes so we're sending out feelers to the folks we've worked with in the past and letting them know we're here and, you know, this is what we handle. And uh, we've gotten some good feedback on that. So I think we're going to be positioned really well if things return to normal. I think the one big thing that we didn't do that we will have to do is is bring on some more help. That was one decision that we decided not to do is to start bringing on employees given what was happening and not knowing whether You know, we would be bringing on somebody only to furlough them or or tell them that we we couldn't maintain it just with all the uncertainty. Sure. So we held off on doing that. And I think it was good for us because it was having always relied on paralegals and legal assistance to handle a lot of things. It was nice to step in their shoes for a little while and figure out how they do what they do so when we do bring people on we'll be better equipped to evaluate their skill sets and help them navigate any processes they're not familiar with or or what have you so we'll be looking to do that as things reopen
0: yeah and that's just excellent business advice for anybody who's going into business for themselves is when you're bringing someone in you don't want to just assume that they know how to do what they do if you know how to do what they do that gives you insight into it a you understand what you're asking them And if you find yourself in a position where they can't be there or they leave the firm, that you actually can pick that up and do it yourself if you need to. You can bring someone else and train them in it. Like those systems and processes to understand
1: how they're being accomplished is very helpful for any business owner. Absolutely. I, I agree with that 100%. And that was one of the upsides, if you will, or silver linings of our transition when it happened with coronavirus. I think the extra time that was afforded on our schedules because of these trials being postponed and hearings being canceled and whatnot, gave us the flexibility to learn those processes, those software platforms, and get a feel for how that all works together. And I I certainly feel a lot more comfortable going forward, knowing how all that works. And when we go to add those positions with the firm, being able to, you know, talk through those processes with candidates and see if they view it the way I do it or if they have different input
0: right then get those standard operating procedures put together so you can start scaling on top of those exactly so a quick question on business development it's it's changed for a lot of people where people depend on networking events and getting out in the community obviously we haven't been able to do as much of that now are there any strategies you are using especially as a young firm to drum up new business and drive business
1: development yeah I think more than ever it's important for firms to utilize seo and internet presence and try to get your name out there i mean there are so many different platforms that are trying to put potential clients in touch with lawyers that have you know free services or just put a profile up and link your web page back to it try to get some clients to put reviews up where you can so That's one of the things we were asking of clients you know, when we close out cases. Please be sure to leave us a review. We give them a couple options. That's definitely beneficial doing it that way. We try to continually update our website and have new content on there. We started a a business law. We called it the business law beacon where we're basically writing on topics of current interest, including coronavirus and, and issues in that department, reporting on business court cases in North Carolina and whatnot. And getting, you know, our business clients interested and engaged in that, which, you know, obviously drives your SEO presence as well. So all very much web-based except for, you know, just working the phones on folks that we've worked with in the past. We know might have some cases that they want to share with us, you know, touching base with, with folks that have traditionally been people we've worked with in the past and just letting them know where we are now and that we're always willing to help.
0: All right. In tough times like these, the value of strong mentors is never more apparent. So one of the things I was going to start doing on this show is giving shout outs to mentors from the attorneys that they really feel like got them to where they are. Is there any attorneys that you feel like have been instrumental in getting you to this moment in your career?
1: Well, I'd start with a judge. Judge Albert Diaz, when I externed for him during law school, was probably the one of the most influential people I, I could name. He probably would wonder how, because I spent such a short period of time working with him. But I, I learned a lot from him, just really trying to listen to the things he said and how he approached situations. And viewing uh, a judge of his qualifications and you know analytics behind the scenes in the business court when he was there, to me was just incredibly insightful and rewarding. And I've I've always tried to listen and consider some of the things that he said. Maybe, you know, sometimes without trying to impart a lesson on me, just might have made a comment about a case or a particular argument. But I found that that the lessons I learned with him have, you know, carried a lot of a lot of benefit to me through my career so far. Obviously the different attorneys I've worked with from the time period I was interning in law school up through the, the last uh, almost nine mm-hmm. years here in Wilmington at Shipman and Ryan. I learned so much from all those attorneys. And then there's been a lot of attorneys that I've worked with throughout the state and even out of state on some other matters, some class action matters that have always been willing to pick up the phone and take my call and answer some questions or walk me through some issues, help me understand some things that they're doing. I try to grab lunch with attorneys when I can. Obviously, that hasn't been something that has been feasible lately. But just, you know, going to those voices in our legal community that, you know, carry a lot of weight and people that you know, know what they're doing and talking through things with them. There's too many to name, uh, to be honest.
0: Right on. Well, Kyle, before I let you get out of here, this has been incredibly valuable. If someone wanted to connect with you, where can they find you?
1: So our website is www.reissnutt.com. Nut, you can always send me an email, kjnut at or you can call me at 910 420 4684.
0: Now, a very personal question before I let you go Are you planning on having other nuts working at the firm? Is that why you went with KJ instead of just K?
1: Not that I know of, and it would be, uh, it'd be a couple decades before my son was ready to do that if he ever wanted to pursue law. So, hey, just uh, in I don't case know of any other any other nuts, but no, that's, you know, I will say that over the years, having my old email address was just K-N-U-T-T, I found that a lot of people ended up thinking my last name was, had a silent K in front of it. <laughs> that makes so, a lot of sense now. So that was why I, I added the middle. And you answered the now.
0: question for me perfectly. Nice. That's what I was wondering. Why KJ? Yeah. Mr. I, canut
1: I got a lot of <laughs> emails and letters addressed to Mr. Canut.
0: I love it. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking some time out, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for joining us. For resources from the episode, go to the show notes in your podcast player or visit lawpods.com slash podcast. Do you know someone who's staying on top that should be a guest on the show? Submit their name to let's podcast at lawpods.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay profitable.